Well, you're hitting on kind of the big bet that Tesla was founded on, was this idea that if they could make the make a car that was appealing that it would change people's opinions of electric cars remember you go back 20 years and the idea of an electric car was really a golf cart my guest today is tim higgins tim is an award-winning wall street journal tech and auto reporter his latest book power play tesla elon musk and the bed of the century has quickly become a wall street journal bestseller PowerPlay is the riveting inside story of Elon Musk and Tesla's bid to build the world's greatest car. Tim gives us an insider's view of the extraordinary story of Tesla's rise to become one of the most fascinating companies of the 21st century. I recently sat down with Tim and talked about how Elon Musk's genius shaped the company, and we also did a deep dive on the nuts and vaults of the car. Tim, thanks so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm really excited to talk about Tesla, Elon Musk, and everything dealing with electric cars. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, man. So let's get right to it. How did you get into uh, finding out as much as you can? Because I think they say this is one of the most authoritative books on Tesla out there. And it got to be accurate because Elon Musk hates it. Well, he calls it boring, <laughs> but I think you, you've read it and I think others have, and it's actually pretty exciting. And I'll tell you what, I spent almost a decade in Detroit writing about the auto industry, came out to Silicon Valley a number of years ago and realized that something exciting was going on in the auto space, whether it was the electrification of the car or the efforts to develop self-driving car technology. Um, you know, this was something you don't see, but for every few generations, a big change was occurring. And Tesla was definitely at the forefront of all of that. And in 2018, when I began work on this book, I thought it was going to be uh, watching the very dramatic collapse of this company. Um, but what turned out was really probably a, one of the most dramatic corporate turnarounds of a generation um, with Tesla being able to bring out the Model 3 against great odds um, and becoming the world's most uh, valuable automaker um, is really kind of uh, an incredible feat. Yeah, you know, I just want to, full disclosure, I recently got a Tesla, I got, I got the three, and uh, I've leased cars for maybe 35, 40 years. And leasing, the whole process of getting the car from Tesla into my driveway, I got to say was completely frictionless extremely, extremely easy. And I found myself looking forward and counting down and waiting for the emails when I was going to get this car. To me, a car was a commodity. And now I was excited to get that. And, I, and, and my boys who were, who were or tech guys, they said, Pop, you got to get this car. You got to get it. And they took care of everything. And I was totally against it. Uh, if the car breaks down. Uh, I, had, I had range anxiety and a whole bunch of things we we're going to get to. But I want to tell you, uh, I really enjoy it. That buying experience is, is part of the different kind of part of Tesla. Uh, and that goes back to the early days when uh, Tesla decided not to go down this well-paved road of, of, of franchising uh, dealers, uh, having third parties out there, uh, having that contact with the customer, selling and servicing the vehicle. Elon Musk has uh, really fought for the ability to own that customer experience. Uh, he wanted it to be like going to an Apple store, having a kind of an educational experience, um, that the car would sell itself and uh, you would just have this kind of more of a luxurious experience. And that's been, that was kind of the, the aim. So it's good to hear that you had that experience. Not everyone has that experience. And that's some of the learning, the kind of the growing experience pains that we see Tesla having right now. We could talk some more about, but it, it definitely gets to the, which you, the experience you had gets to the kind of core of why there's so much excitement among some Tesla users and, and fans out there is because it's, it's a different kind of car experience than they're accustomed to. Absolutely. You know, uh, on my block, a bl about down the corner from me, uh, someone had a Tesla. Someone still has it. He has a Tesla. He has a Tesla for, I don't know, maybe a year and a half. The, I think it's the uh, top model. The, is it the X? 
What's the top model? The Model S is a sedan. A yeah, the sedan. Same, yeah, the yeah. Model X is the large SUV. Yeah. Right. That, not the X, the S. S is in Sam, right? Mm, yeah. Okay. Right, right. He's had that, and he put the power plug in front or whatever the heck that thing is called, and he mm-hmm. was walking around, come, you got to see my new toy, and I just poo-pooed it. Mm-hmm. A guy, another guy, another block away from me, he got one also. And, mm-hmm. you know, I said, what's the big deal? It's a car, and, and, and the whole deal of just uh, uh, thinking that there could any, be anything new in the auto industry. All right, you know, mm-hmm. every year you get a new car. Every couple of years you get a new right. car. There's something different. But, you know, Tim, I got this car, and it's totally 100% different. The learning curve is very small, but once you drive an electric car, a Tesla, I got to say a Tesla because I haven't driven any other, uh, driving a gas-powered car and all the gadgets and everything becomes like, I wouldn't say a chore, but not exciting. Well, you're hitting on kind of the big bet that Tesla was founded on, was this idea that if they could make make a car that was appealing, that it would change people's opinions of electric cars. Remember, you go back 20 years, and the idea of an electric car was really a golf cart. You know, it was not something that you were going to aspire to have. It was, uh, you know, it was full of compromises. And it really was uh, full of compromises back in the day because the, the traditional automakers, they, when they thought about electric cars and they were thinking about them, they were trying to develop them. Um, one of the things that they thought was the customer was going to be motivated to buy an electric car in part because of the high prices of gasoline. And that they were going to be kind of driven by that pocketbook concern. And so, you know, you, you run into a dilemma there. And the dilemma was uh, battery costs were so expensive. And, and so to have a car that could be priced comparable to a traditional car, well, you got some, you got some, some trade-offs you have to do. So when GM came out with the EV1, which was really one of the first attempts to make a mainstream electric vehicle, um, it looked like a spaceship because they were really concerned about the aerodynamics of it and it only had two seats and it was just full of compromises and it didn't really find a, a find a, an audience out there because it, it just it didn't have the range it didn't have all the things you would expect whereas tesla their argument was let's start at the top uh let, this will be a luxury experience people who the first vehicle that came out was with the roadster and the idea was if you came out with uh, a sports car, sports car buyers are accustomed to maybe having, uh, you know, the quality wouldn't be there. But they, if it was cool and had performance, that they would be attracted to it. And with electric cars, that torque, that experience you have when you're at the stoplight and you hit the accelerator button, you go back like this, that is exciting. And that's where electric cars really perform very well. And they saw that as the line to go down that. Uh, that's what could make electric vehicles uh, sexy and cool and aspirational. Yeah, you, you hit it right on. A, a friend of mine said, you know, what's so special about this car? I said, get in. And uh, I floored it. And it, I, I don't know what it, zero to 60 and, you know, 3.9 or 4.1 seconds. I don't know what it is. But he goes, I got that same feeling as if it was on a roller coaster. You get that real, exactly. that jolt. And I said, that's freaking crazy. But um, let, me, let me go back a bit. I remember watching... Larry David, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and you could tell me when this was, he drove a Prius, right, which was, I think, a hybrid or an electric car. I'm not sure. The, the hybrid. Prius. Yeah. It was a hybrid. Yeah, it's a hybrid. In yep. L.A., where everyone was showing off, that was the show. And it looked, I don't know, I wouldn't, it didn't look anything special. I wouldn't want to be seen in a, I forget about being seen in a Prius. It just didn't look like anything I'd want to go out of my way to get, even though I, I really am a, a, a conservationist. I, I, make sure toilets don't run. I change the flappers. I make sure drip. You know, I'm that kind of guy. I really am. And then I saw the Prius. I said, oh, it just wasn't anything exciting. What year was that? What year did that Prius come out? Oh, you're, you're, you're getting me there. It's the end of the 90s. Um, and so you're right. And that in the, the design of it was intentional. It was sending a sig- signal. This And this was the idea of kind of hybrid vehicles at the time. And even to you, years forward is that you were going to buy it, you wanted to signal that you were green. And that was going to be part of the, it was a marketing effort, right? Whereas, whereas with, with Tesla is they, they bring out the Roadster and it's, you know, successful for what it was, but it wasn't going to change the world, right? It was really good to get to the next product. And when Elon Musk is then CEO, 
he is thinking about what's next. And we think about the Model S. And this was going to be the vehicle that was going to show that, you know, that electric cars could be something you would want in your driveway. So the Roadster was the idea that electric cars can cool, but the, the Model S, the, the basically the, the marching orders there were, were to make the world's best car that happened to be electric. Yeah. And you were going to mm-hmm. buy it because it was performance, it looked good, it had all these other features that just made it like you were going to want in your life rather than you're making some kind of compromise. And so the, the Model S had seven seats, it had a huge trunk, it had a, a front, a trunk in the front, uh, it had an interior unlike any other vehicle, it had a touchscreen in the dashboard that was like an iPad. I mean, these were, you know, unheard of things at the time. And oh, by the way, you know, that zero to 60 was, mm. you know, a few seconds, you know, up there with some of the fastest, the best cars in the world. And it's an electric car. And here we'll make the argument that the cost of ownership is is cheaper than what a traditional car would be. So that's a pretty compelling. It's a pretty compelling uh, thing. And the mm. bet was it, it, people would would go for that It was going to be a high end car. And that 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 success would then usher in the ability to do a more mainstream electric car, which was what you have with the model three, right? right I mean, right, it, right. all of a sudden people are saying, Hey, I want that, but I, I you know, I don't want to spend $120,000. I've, you know, 50, 60 is good. Right. And so you're seeing that kind of trickle down of technology, which you've seen in luxury technology for generations, right? Like the, you know, the best phone, you know, comes, you know, the, I the, I, the iPhone pro, you know, it's got the best things and it trickles down and you're just accustomed to that. And, and, and scale will help the, the electric car become cheaper over time. Yeah. You know, I just want to talk one more second about the ownership of one and uh, uh, my thinking, because my thinking totally, totally changed from being uh, against it, uh, where things like, what about filling up the car? What if it broken down, range anxiety, right. a whole bunch of issues right. like that to when I did get it and started driving it, and now I, have, I also have a Volvo, uh, if the if one of my boys took the the Tesla, I'm pretty pissed. I said, oh, I got to drive the Volvo? Like, I'm not, I don't look forward to it. I look like, oh, I want to drive it. One thing which, not one thing, there were so many things about this, but we could talk about this uh, forever, but the fact that the car's intuitive, where I don't need a key, it's on my phone. Uh, which is amazing. I go up there and I don't have to get fumble for my keys because so many mornings I go in and not even the fob, I don't even even, I go into my house, come out of my house, I forget it, I put it, don't have to worry about that. Anywhere I have my phone, I got it. Secondly, once you get in there, uh, it's clean, simple, and sleek. There's no confusion. I'm not being um, uh, really, my, my attention is not being shifted to 20 other different things. There's a big screen push the, the lever down, I go into drive, click it, go into park, I get out, I don't have to worry about shutting it off, which that's freaking crazy. I get out of the car and it's, and it's still going. And then you walk away and beep, locks up and everything. I don't yeah. think my experience is unique at all. I think in fact there are things I didn't even talk to you about, but that was the aim? Absolutely. It's interesting. You, you hit on this concern going in. You had range anxiety, right? Total, Which is total. a very real, uh, real, by, the, real by the way, thing. Tim, I'm the type of guy that every time I drive, I used to, I, I freak out if the tank, if I have a tank in my car, the, the tank is on half, I'm always filling up and telling everyone, never leave the car less right. than F, you know? So just right. fill up the car. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, where am I going to go to fill this thing up? Totally disappeared. I mean, this is a huge and huge, huge concern. And it was even more so at the beginning. And so the Model 3 comes out in 2012. It's really hitting its stride in 2013. And there's this concern out there. And General Motors is out with the Chevy Volt with a V. And this is a hybrid plug-in hybrid that, you know, you do the electric and then it can click, kick on a, a, a motor to keep going. So you've got gasoline in the car as well. You know, to get beyond that range anxiety, but so Tesla is facing this really very real issue. They, and this is one of one of the smart things they did was, you know, most of their customers at that time were in California, where the most important ones were, and they figured out well where the, the the buyers of the Model S are wealthy people. Where do wealthy people go on road trips? Because that's really where the concern with range anxiety is. Most users at that period of time were going to plug in at home overnight. That's what made sense. 
they were probably having no problems getting through their day. What was the range? Uh, what, what, want, what was the range of that car? How many miles was it? Was the uh, range? Well, at that point, I mean, now these days it's it 400, 350, something right. like that. But at the time, it was it was, you know getting over two hundred, as I recall. Um, you okay, know, but it's right. changed over time. But, yeah, but you know, you 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 know, it was a lot for the right. time. And so what they they came out with was the supercharger network, and this was. Uh, you get to the intuitive part. So the, the way it was designed was um, you know, they basically put these charging stations uh, for the LA customer between LA and Las Vegas, thinking that was going to be a popular road trip or San Francisco in Lake Tahoe, a ski area, or between LA and San Francisco, another popular road trip. And so you as the customer would be able to know there these these places there it would be free. Your car would just work there. Uh, you would see it in the map and it would tell you when you needed to pull over and do these things. It could calculate the trip for you. And it created this ecosystem that has proven to be incredibly important and very hard to replicate. And it, it wasn't really that expensive to do. They figured out ways to do it rather economically, but it, it, it provided a marketing boost for the company that they have since built out this network around the world and it has become one of the critical kind of moats that they have uh, so even so much that i remember testing an electric a competing electric vehicle a number of years ago and i was taking that uh san francisco uh, trip down towards la but not la and i ran into issue of i needed to charge the vehicle and the vehicle i was using didn't have one of those networks right and so i'm looking around all, you know, in the middle of my trip, trying to find a, a place to charge, and I'm going to stations that don't work or are no longer there. And it, you know, it was a, it was a big hassle. And, you know, it kind of ruined that road trip, right? Because I, I had range anxiety for the rest of the time. And that's, that's one of the challenges that competitors have as they race to put electric vehicles on the road is that they're kind of a generation behind on some of those basic features that you take for granted that intuitive, I'm going to get on the road. This the car is going to tell me where my opportunities to charge are I'm going to tell me if it's busy is, you know, you know, how far I can get, um, you know, because, you know, there's changes in electric, you run in the air conditioner, you run the heat, it's going to change your range. And these are all things you're not really accustomed to if you're, you haven't had an electric vehicle, but the car helps you. It, it kind of teaches you how to do it. Yeah. You start to, you, you're hundred percent right. You, it becomes initially for me. It became uh, front of mind, and now it's the point where I don't think much about it because we just got a charger in my home, which cost me a fortune because my electric box was literally on the other side of the house, like as as much as far as the farthest possible spot. So, for those who don't know, you can buy uh, install a charger in your house where it does around thirty miles or so um, an hour. So plug it in overnight, there's 240 plus miles and, and you could, you know, it's not a big deal at all. And, you know, the average guy, I don't know, 50 miles a day, 40, and living in Brooklyn, New York, I drive maybe six miles a week. So it really isn't even an issue. But, um, you're, you know, you're, all of these things, the, I, I found that Tesla uh, took away a lot of my angst. I, I got to say, it was just brilliant how all the things you just mentioned, I'm thinking about them now. Uh, really just moved to the side where I don't even think about them anymore. Now I'm just experiencing and enjoying the automobile. Right. Taking away that friction, that that's, that's been a huge, a huge benefit for them. And the challenge of course, going forward is they have more and more customers, you know, building out and maintaining that becomes more of a challenge, right. but um, it has removed one of those hurdles in, in the yes. interim that I think a lot of people were going to have. Okay. So Tim, you're a smart guy, man. You've been working for the wall street journal for a while. You're in Detroit. You know what was going on. How come this guy, which I want to get into in just a few seconds, Musk didn't didn't found Tesla. <laughs> so that's another thing that people think he was the star. He founded Tesla. He didn't found Tesla, right? Uh, he invested in it right after his PayPal winnings came on and uh, and took it from there. But hang on to that for one sec. How come the auto industry, with the billions and billions of R and D, all the engineers, the capacity issues, which building a car is a capital intensive, pain in the ass business. It's a low margin business. It's a terrible, it's really not a good business. You know, I'm looking right behind you for those folks uh, who are listening in. You have uh, from 09, that article about uh, GM going bankrupt. So the companies, auto companies were taken out behind the barn and shot. 
And here's a guy who is ballsy as can be coming out and flipping this whole industry on its head. So my question for you is this, Tim. What was Detroit thinking and why didn't they see this coming? Sure. Well, Detroit, traditional automakers, uh, never thought that a, a startup could be a real competitor. Like for all those reasons you just laid out, it's a, you know, bashing metal as a business is a capital intensive game. And, you know, the idea was maybe they could get some ideas from these startups, but that, you know, eventually a car company would get serious and they would industrialize it and they would just, you know, be able to, to swoop in and, and, and own the market. That's always been the, one of the concerns for Tesla is that, you know, okay, you're doing a nice little thing here, but once GM or Toyota or Volkswagen gets into the game, then you're, you're toast, right? Well, a few things here. Let's unpack this. Well, one of the challenges for a traditional automaker is they've been making their money from gas-powered cars, right? If, you, if you're, the bulk of your profits are coming from uh, pickup trucks and sport utility vehicles like they are in Detroit, you don't really have a lot of incentive to say, let's go blow this up and make it a battery car, right? You know, right there is kind of one of the big challenges. You know, you know, you know, let me just they, interrupt you a second. This, is, this reminds me so much of what you're saying. Back in the 70s, when I was in high school, and I'm thinking, like, how am I going to afford a car? Because gas prices were zooming. Detroit was still making these huge boats. I remember we had an old 98. This thing today it would take up three parking spaces. It got like nine miles to the gallon. It was huge. It was like driving in a living room. And at the time, uh, um, the, the imports were coming in from Japan, the Toyotas and Datsun. And yep. you had to be a total moron not to see that uh, California and everywhere else, people were starting to buy uh, these, these imports. They were smaller, yeah, and they said, well, they don't want smaller. But you were able to get 25 miles to the gallon, 20 miles to the gallon. And when we used to have to wait on gas lines, it was insane. It was, right. it, Detroit was just uh, saying, well, Michigan, look around here. Everyone's driving gas, you know, our big cars. Right. I mean, it's the innovator's dilemma, right? In a lot of ways, Tesla didn't have anything to lose. They, they didn't have a legacy of a business. They could say, well, why not an electric car, right? And the other, the other big choice that they made, that Tesla made, that really set them apart was, so traditional automakers have been thinking about zero emission vehicles, but the challenge was they were always looking for the perfect technology. You know, yes, there were these batteries, but there were all these reasons against them. So let's develop something new or find the next thing, right? Okay, wait, let, so me, let, me just, let me just let me just step one in a second, because for those who are not tech savvy, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, an electric vehicle is nothing more than a battery with four seats or six seats or five seats on it, right? It's the batteries that are the key. So the batteries back in the day and the battery technology is what's holding this back in a big way because these batteries are heavy, huge, they need to be charged. Mm -hmm. And the game now has become extend those batteries, the life of the battery, so you don't need charge and make them lighter, smaller, so the cars are, are, uh, would go further. Is that more or less right? Yeah, exactly. So what, the, what Tesla's insight was, let's stop looking for the perfect. Let's look what's on the shelf right now. And at the time, lithium ion cells, those, these are these fat finger sized cells that at the time were very popular in camcorders or laptops that were really a new technology that was on the shelf. They said, why not we just use those? We'll take thousands of them, wire them together, put them in a pack to create a battery pack. And that will be enough juice, if you will, to power a vehicle. And because they're using so many of these cells, they felt like they'd be able to eventually get scale to bring the price down which was an important thing. And then on top of that, it's a known technology. They, these cells are out there. They're, they're selling them in computers. Instead of looking for something that would be better, they were just going to double down on this technology. And so that was one of the big insights that Tesla did. Uh, they went out and they figured they'd make an electric car based upon lithium ion cells, the, the laptop batteries. And this in the industry, auto industry, was looked at as just kind of crazy. You know, they would make uh, car guys, I remember hearing car guys in Detroit mock Tesla for you, basically saying they're a laptop battery car. You know, this was seen as a dangerous and, uh, you know, what were the long-term implications? Would it be able to survive? All these things, right? Well, you know, Tesla gets into it. They start raising money and, you know, it turns out they realize this could be dangerous. Uh, in fact, lithium ion cells have a tendency uh, to catch on fire. 
and they started doing the math. Uh, well, what happens if one caught on fire? Then you've got 6,000 cells on fire. you got a bomb on wheels, right? And so an mm. existential moment early on, and this is really where the big technological breakthrough for Tesla occurs, is figuring out how to develop a battery pack that could contain that energy in a way that would keep it from having runaway fires. And, and they do this through a kind of a combination of software, but also mechanical engineering. There's all sorts of uh, goop in this pack to keep the cells at a certain temperature. They dissipate the heat throughout the pack. It's very complex and very cutting edge. And this breakthrough is really what separates Tesla from others at that point. And still to this day is really one of the advantages they have over traditional automakers that they had figured out how to manage those cells in a way that was very creative um, and also very creative, but also using some technology that was already out there. And that, in a lot of ways, is why Tesla was able to get on the road so quickly. So you're telling me they went into the equivalent of a, back in the day, a radio shack and took parts off the shelf and said, you know, we're going to make an electric car based on what we have sitting around. That was it? It's, it's, essentially, that was kind of the game. Uh, in fact, it, it was very hard for them. They, the original business plan was based on a, built on a lot of assumptions that didn't turn out to be kind of correct. But one of the assumptions was, well, they'd be able to get these cells. Well, they ended up being harder to get because at the time you're starting to see Apple and other personal tech companies are having these fires on airplanes and people yeah. are kind of scared. And, you know, the battery companies are saying, wait a second, you're going to put how many of these cells in a car? We don't want to be liable for this. We don't want the black guy. And so Tesla had to go out and prove that it could build a, a safe car. And that really made the relationship uh, ultimately with Panasonic to be very critical was convincing uh, this giant battery maker that this was going to be safe and that they were going to be a good customer. Um, this became uh, a key breakthrough uh, for Tesla. Wow. You know what I find? You talk about safety and all. I like it. I, I, one, thing, one thing I like about the Tesla, I feel more secure with my, with my sons driving it. And when I drive it, it, it you know tells me how close I am in inches. Stop automatically stops at certain points. I don't have the auto drive. I'm in Brooklyn, so uh, the auto drive is another feature we'll talk about in a second. But in terms of safety, I think I think when consumers looked at it, they were wanting to give it a six star rating, which is five stars at the top, right? I think it was something like that. And what I found interesting was a few weeks ago, unfortunately, someone in the Brooklyn area was driving a car. Uh, late at night, a bunch of kids, high school kids or college kids, I don't remember exactly, uh, they, were doing, they were going really fast, and unfortunately one of them died. And the article said the make of the car. He was driving a Tesla. And I thought that was so telling because if someone died in a Honda accident or a Volvo accident, you, you don't hear much about the car. You hear about there was a car accident. Here it's like uh, they use... Tesla, like, and people are like, well, I thought those don't crash. I thought you're not allowed to, you never do that. Uh, but I, I just found it so amazing that in the public's eye that Tesla is now almost synonymous with that extra level of safety. What, one of the, the kind of the key things that Elon Musk had when he was bringing out the Model S was he really did want to have it to be ranked among the safest cars. And this was a key thing. And and, you know, part of it was because they're bringing out a new technology and this was a concern, um, but it's also become kind of a, a core brand attribute, uh, the crash safety. And you talk to people who study the vehicle, the manufacturing of the vehicle, and they have all sorts of issues with the way they make it. You know, but one of the things that that Model S is over manufactured in a way that uh, it has proven to be uh, rather remarkable in, in crash, crash studies. Uh, and that's been a key thing. And it's just also the warnings that it gives you of what you can and can't do in terms of how many, how close you are to something. Or uh, I set it where if I go and it dings when I go over the speed limit and a whole bunch of other features that it has. I just think these are just, they're, once again, they're intuitive. You don't, once they're in you, you think like, you know, when I rent a car, when I go on a business trip and a car doesn't have these, I said, gosh, how do you drive these things? You know, they're, it's like going back to the Stone Age. Yeah, the... Uh, the introduction of these kind of driver assistance features have, uh, you know, for a lot of car companies out there, these newer technologies, you, you do notice it when you go back a step, you, you know, people are, wait a second, this, this didn't have automatic braking. <laughs> right, right. Well, back in the day we had, uh, in my father's uh, Olds 98, it had two benches 
And when we used to travel out to Long Island to visit my aunt, we had maybe eight people in the car. And yeah. my younger brother <laughs> sat on my grandmother's lap in the front seat, and I sat next to my father in the back. We had two other kids. And I'm like, what, you don't have seatbelts? Seatbelts. I think my father cut them out of the car. He didn't like the way they were hanging out. It was, you know, that was not a, you know, a safety standard. No, no one used seatbelts. And it was only a lap belt at the time. Well, it's funny. So a lot of Elon's, Elon Musk's kind of personal life is in these cars. And so at the time they're working on the Model S, he's got at that point five children. And so he wants there to be capacity for his family in the vehicle. And so a sedan normally has five seats, if you will. And so he was insistent there'd be two small children's seats in the trunk. It could be as an option. Well, then his concern was, well, if there's a rear end, I don't want my kids getting smashed. And so this was, I've talked to engineers who were talking about how this was a huge issue in his mind of, of making sure that rear impact was going to be in a way that people in the back seats or these two little seats were going to be okay, right? So, you know, that played in. But the thing, though, you flash forward to the kind of the conversation around Tesla now is the concern about the implementation of these advanced driver systems. They call it autopilot, full self-driving technology. The car cannot drive itself. Um, it has these technology that's supposed to help the driver uh, manage some of the driving load. Um, and so the company has come under a lot of criticism for the way that it has marketed it. And one of the challenges I've used autopilot, uh, you know, lots of people who have is that it is, it feels like the future. You, it, it gives you more confidence in the car than the car can actually do. You think sometimes you, you're lulled into thinking it can drive itself and it can't. And you as the driver need to keep the mental load on the wheel, you're on the road and be able to take, take control if the car can't handle things. That's proven to be a, a challenge for the company in recent years. So you're seeing kind of this kind of, in a conflict out there right now, where Elon clearly in the clearly has been concerned about user safety in the vehicle, the way these cars are designed, the structural elements of it. Safety has always been a big issue, um, but then it comes under criticism for the way that they're deploying the marketing of some of these features. Right, right. It's it's we expect more. <laughs> you know, we we want more. We want this thing to actually drive itself, pick you up, drop mm -hmm. you off. But it'll take time, you know. But it's definitely on that way. So you've research this book. This book took you a while to write, right? How long did it take you about? Yeah, several years, yeah. Yeah. So you you got you didn't get up front and personal with with Elon himself, but you got a lot of information about this man. So I want you to share with me what what's his genius side? What do you think his number one thing about is um that that he just is outside not outside the box, I shouldn't say Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner said the thing about Musk and geniuses like him are people with 200 IQs who think they have IQs of 250. <laughs> and he goes, I mean, I'm scared of those type of people. Uh, what is that one thing that, based on your research, based on just being immersed in the automobile industry and especially Tesla, that Musk has that just makes him stand out? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Clearly very bright, clearly engineering chops. Uh, there's also an element and you see it in other entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley too, but not to this level. Um, a little bit of naivete or delusion that, you know, they look at a problem and say, well, why can't it be done this way and say, it'd just be so much better. And, you know, if you look at a traditional automaker, they would say, well, the reason you can't do that is because of X, Y, and Z and a hundred years of experience. Well, it, and a guy like Elon is going to he doesn't want to hear a hundred years of experience. He wants to look at the math and the engineering and say, well, it can be like this. This would be better. Why not do that? And so he goes after it. Well, the, one of the huge differences that he that sets him apart from everybody else is his risk tolerance. He's willing to kind of put it all on the table and take a risk on something he believes is correct. And, you know, that puts him, you know, in the winner's circle, but it also puts great risk and he's he's faced a lot of near catastrophes because of that uh the other thing that so he's got that risk capability but you know a lot of people are risky a lot of people have crazy ideas he, he also has had that ability to kind of sell his vision of the future in a way that has been critical it's not he's been able to sell to customers like yourself which is key because you if you're making cars you got to have people buy them but it's more important is that he's been able to sell the vision of the future of cars to investors People have come with him on this journey, willing to put down billions of dollars 
to fund this car to, car company to get it to the point where it is now where it can make money because there's a reason why there hasn't been a lot of startup car companies up to that point. The investors didn't want to take the risk. It, you know, the turnaround on that, the return on capital was, you know, not their timelines. You know, it takes years and years of losing money to get a car out and then you got to do it all over again. And, you know, most people thought that was crazy, whereas Elon saw the potential there uh, to change the world and could raise the capital uh, through the, that salesmanship ability and then continue to take those risks that, you, you know, others probably wouldn't take. What's his mad part? What's his, what's the part that just is a madman part that you've seen where it's just reckless where you would think is reckless? Well, so one of the problems for a guy who is always told no, that something's not possible and he starts to do the impossible is that he thinks he doesn't listen to people or, you know, that he, he wants to prove people that he can do something right. And so 2016 is a, probably a pretty good example where things were going, where he was making decisions that were risky. People were telling him, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Here are all the challenges. And he was just plowing through it. So I think, for example, 2016, they bring out the Model 3. Here's what this Model 3 is going to look like. The response was unlike anything in a recent generation for car. People were lining up to put money down to have right. the opportunity to buy it. Right. And they weren't even quite sure when it was going to come out, right? right? And so that lot of excitement there. Well, the Tesla's finances were such that they, you know, still pretty rickety. Uh, they were struggling with the Model X. Uh, the market wasn't sure where they were going. And so they needed, you know, they needed to raise money. Well, Elon sold it on this idea that they were going to pull ahead production. Uh, and they were going to pull those production plans ahead so they could get more cars out faster. This was a really risky gamble. And part of the way he wanted to do it was he was going to greatly increase the automation in the factory. His ultimate vision was to essentially have a lights out factory, which was the idea that robots would be doing most of the work. You could turn the lights off and go home and just let the robots do it because they'd be going so fast that cars would just fly out. Well, anybody in the auto industry who's been around a while knows that automation uh, you know, has its place, but it can be incredibly costly and it can be incredibly complicated. And if you make a mistake, it can be hard to unwind. And that's ultimately what we saw in 2018 is the company nearly goes into bankruptcy because he overplayed the automation. The, the factory was in a knot. Um, it was taking months and months to figure out how to fix things. And ultimately, uh, the way they were able to get out of that problem was a little bit of luck. And a little bit of, uh, you know, some other people's ideas came into play. And that was the Model 3 was created on the idea that it would be easier to build than the previous generations of Tesla vehicles. And their engineers are sitting around and saying, well, this thing should be easier to make. Why don't we just take it out of this assembly line, this overly automated assembly line, and do it by hand? Or, you know, well, they'll have some tools to help them. It, this could this could speed things up. And so that's what they ultimately did. They put a, a tent outside the factory. They brought some of the, the tools out there and they put their assembly line out there outside of this overly automated assembly line. And once they did that, they could speed up production. And that was really one of the key things that uh, got them through that problem was, uh, you know, getting away from automation. Uh, it's amazing. It's counterintuitive, right? So, uh, and what is Detroit doing at this time? They're looking at this and saying, what, have we told you so? Uh... Well, that's the thing. You know, there's always been a lot of skeptics on Tesla. And it was, you know, every time Tesla would do something that people thought was impossible as well, you know, eventually Elon's going to get his, his comeuppance here. Uh, you know, a lot of people were betting against him, short sellers. And rightly so. A lot of his claims were pretty hard to believe. Um, and it just seemed like at some point, you know, the math wasn't going to work. And so yep, 2018, yep. Well, they, by the way, hang on a sec. I uh, totally agree with that. I was, uh, I never shorted Tesla, uh, never recommended it either. I just kept looking at the numbers and said, this company does not make money. His claims sound like that of a charlatan. Uh, the numbers just aren't going to jump. If it wasn't for the government tax credits, uh, there'd be no profit or anything resembling profit. And my suggestion in 2007, as 2018, 19 was buy the car, don't buy the stock as right. the stock was zooming because I would, because Tesla was a religion. People were buying it based on faith in 
Elon Musk and Tesla. It, it, there was no looking at it from a dollars and cents point. It did not make any sense at all. As you mentioned, the company was always uh, a hair away from folding. They just couldn't do it. Yeah. And to build cars was difficult. So the car, right. you know, great, buy the car, but don't buy the stock. Right. And that the, really the situation changed, uh, you know, so the, the Model 3 comes out, but then there's all sorts of problems de- uh, delivering it. Uh, you know, sales maybe aren't as robust in 2019. And I think people on Wall Street were starting to get tired of Elon's show. Uh, he, beginning of 2019, he's talking about they're going to open a factory in China uh, in a year. It didn't even seem believable. Right. And, it, you know, so this was kind of really a dark period for the company. But lo and behold, uh, beginning of 2020, they're able to open that factory. And it becomes very important because as COVID takes over, it gives them kind of a hedge. They're, they only had one assembly factory in the U.S., and that was taken offline for a while because of COVID precautions in the States. So they had a factory in China that could deliver cars. Uh, and what happens is that t- uh, Tesla is able to get through that initial wave of COVID uh, and turn a profit. And that really was kind of a wake up call. Here's Elon is able to bring out the Model 3. He's able to open a factory. He's finally, he's regaining some credibility among the, the market. It sends the stock to the moon and it does something that allows Tesla to raise capital very cheaply in a way that they hadn't been able to do before. And now they've got they what they created was basically a war chest to kind of go forward to pay for that future growth that is so important to them, but also weather the inevitable downturn that they're going to see, like all car companies do. And that really changes has changed a lot of things uh, for the company. Is that kind of being able to do those, that one too? And so you're you ask. What is Detroit doing? What is the traditional automakers doing? Well, you know, who, if there was no Tesla tomorrow, you know, you, it's undoubtable, though, that Tesla and Elon Musk's vision of the future of the car has won today. From Volkswagen to General Motors to Mercedes, these companies are pouring billions and billions of dollars into developing electric cars that they are going to be putting on the road in the future, in part because governments around the world are pushing for those electric vehicles. And they are given that kind of strength to do that because they can point to the Model 3, they can point to Tesla and its profitable quarters and say, look, electric cars, customers will buy them if you make good ones. And that's and that's put the car companies, traditional car companies in a tough spot. And on top of that, investors are saying this is the future. So that vision that Elon and Tesla put out there a uh, number of years ago is, is, is starting to come into play. Yeah, absolutely amazing. They just re- they released uh, a few weeks ago their third quarter of 2021, and they had deliver- new delivery record of 241,000 electric vehicles, and they're now really on pace, uh, an annual production rate of almost 1 million electric cars. It was considered a joke a while ago. It'll be interesting, you, you know. It, they're on, you know. You could, you could see, you can envision a world where they sell more or as many as BMW, which would be uh, a real uh, change. I mean, it's remarkable growth. We were talking about in 2017, they were thousands of cars, you know, and now you go to hundreds of thousands, and they're you know, on the way to maybe a million next year. Yeah, what I found interesting about your book, which I really liked how you how you developed it, is. And most people, you know, you look back, oh, yeah, now it becomes a uh, 2020 hindsight, you know, confirmation bias. Of course, the company is so successful. Oh, everything they did was correct. And that's why they're successful. But as you point out, there are several places where they made good bets and they did well. And any bad ideas, as soon as they were found out to be bad ideas, were quickly discarded. It's one of the, you see that in startups, Kind of a startup mentality. Let's you know fail fast and go on to the next thing. We'll figure out what's working and go on. And you know it's a little bit of a cultural difference from a traditional automaker who you know a product is going to go into you know multiple years of development. Somebody's career is tied up with that. If there's a mistake, mm-hmm. you, you know there's going to be a huge autopsy. Somebody's going to be blamed. There's a reason for all of that because you know there's a reason why that's developed up. But at Tesla. Uh, they don't have that kind of, they didn't have that kind of fat. They were nimble enough that they could move quick. Um, and that's part of their culture. Yeah, it just seems to be such a, a huge advantage. Definitely has helped them 
weather some of these storms. It's interesting how, and it, here's a good example of how being able to move fast uh, married with their technological advances has helped the company. Um, like your smartphone, like your iPhone or your Android device, the Tesla vehicle can use cellular service or use Wi-Fi to update the software in the car, which was very unheard of when it rolled this out. And so in 2013, there was starting to have some uh, a, a trouble. Uh, some of these cars, some of the Model S's were uh, running over things on the road and, and resulting in car fires. And remember, you go back to that early conversation we had, the concern of car fires was really big at Tesla. And so, you know, the idea that here are these new vehicles, new technology out there, they're running over things and having fires, this was a big concern. Well, the engineers started looking into it and they realized that what was happening is the road debris was puncturing the battery pack, resulting in these fires. They could use that software, that re that remote capability, to raise the car's suspension just a tight, just a little bit, and that would decrease the probability of puncturing that pack dramatically. And so that's what they did. They, they sent out the signal to all the cars out there. They all raise a little bit, and that gave them time to come up with a physical fix or a physical kind of reinforcement. So you know, just an extra added caution. They they reinforced the pack, but that enabled them to avoid what could have been a huge disaster. I mean, look at General Motors right now. Having to recall all of its Chevrolet Bolts, its electric vehicle, fully electric vehicle, because of problems with some of the batteries that they have. They, they don't have the ability to, you know, they, they've got this problem, right? So this is something that all car companies have to deal with. And they had the ability, luckily, they had the ability to do this. Yeah, no, it's just amazing. Just think of the billions of dollars they saved. Recalls, maintenance, taking it off, uh, tarnishing the brand, all of that stuff. And it sent out in a phone update. You know, just recently, I got an update on my uh, Tesla app for the car wash feature, where when it goes into a car wash, I think it shuts down everything so no water can get in or what have you. And it automatically uh, goes on, the, um, on that pulley system, something to that effect. I don't know what it was. I just saw that there was an updated for the car wash feature, and I said, wow. <laughs> That's just absolutely amazing, really, really crazy. So, what do you see? What do you? Where do you see? Because Elon Musk has so many, so many different ideas. He wants to go to Mars, wants to colonize Mars. I shouldn't say go to Mars. Wants to colonize Mars. Has a zillion other ideas. How? What? What's next for for Musk and and Tesla? It's interesting. You know, SpaceX was he he was doing SpaceX before Tesla. Um, and a lot of people close to him talk about how, in a lot of ways, SpaceX is his first love. It's almost like his wife, whereas Tesla is his spicy mistress. You know, it's a lot of drama. I just can't can't quit loving it. You know, it's there. Um, and as you see, kind of in the last few years, after getting out the Model Three and getting past some of these these hurdles, is clearly his attention is really on SpaceX right now and the dramatic things they are doing, and. Uh, you know, and that's a challenge. There's only so much time in the day for Elon. And you look forward, the future of Tesla, one of the key things is that he needs to do is develop kind of a leadership bench that's beyond him. Um, you know, kind of a generation of people who can take that company from just being, uh, you know, something that is now to being a multi-generational company. And that's something that they have to figure out at some point. And that's been a challenge for Elon is, is building the, the senior executive ranks. Uh, they've been moving at such a fast pace that he's burned through a lot of people. Mm. Um, some have left because they couldn't take it anymore. Some have left because he couldn't take them anymore. And, you know, that's that could be challenging for the company because one of the things they continue to struggle with is is the meat and potatoes of part of the car company business, the, the making the cars and the selling and servicing of the cars, right? So as they get more and more sales out there, they have to grow this, this store and service network. Uh, and then, you know, that's a challenge. And right. they kind of the, and so those are the things they have ahead of them is learning how to, to execute, you know, being able to execute on many fronts rather than putting everything, you know, okay, today we're, today's crisis is building the cars. Today's crisis is delivering the cars. They've, they've been essentially running from crisis to crisis to the point where they need to be able to develop into kind of a smooth operating system. Yeah, right, 100%. It becomes blocking, blocking and tackling, you know, the basics of the business. If they're not sexy, but now that it's out there, uh, if you don't do that, the brand quickly dies as more and more people have the car and 
just, uh, you know, the, the, the press is all over this if there's any type of screw up. So uh, yeah. that's great. So, so Tim, you did a really great service to not only the, the you know, technology, uh, people who want to know about technology, but I think you did a great service in writing really a great book uh, for entrepreneurs to see that it, it, it doesn't always seem the way it appears, that they just go from strength to strength to strength. It becomes like many failures, many mistakes, many problems punctuated by a few great successes. So I found right. that from, from that point, I don't know if you've gotten that from other people in terms of feedback, but as a really inspirational book, as uh, you could face challenges and the challenges are the norm. It's the successes that are the exceptions and appreciate that because without those failures, you're not going to get those amazing gains. Right. I mean, every day it could have gone a different direction, right? It's figuring out how to deal um, with the challenges ahead. And that's, you know, it's interesting over the course of the history, a lot of times the choices they were making were between a bad decision and a bad decision. And it was trying to figure out what was the least bad decision, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and that that's kind of how it is. Yeah, it's a lot of gray. It's not black and white. And, you know, it's the fog of war. You never, um, you're never making decisions with uh, in a laboratory. It's always messy and complicated. You got to pick sometimes just the, the lesser of the two evils, but you got to make a decision and, you know, just having the balls to do it and carrying through is what, what, uh, what I saw that Elon Musk and Tesla have done. Just well, you know, something that, that Elon once told me was this idea of even, you know, not making a decision is a decision, right? And so he would rather make a quick wrong decision and be able to change course if it's not working than not make a decision. And it gets to one of the key kind of philosophies that he has and kind of his strategies. It's almost like a gambler at a casino. If you're on a hot streak, just keep going. Use that momentum. He's all about momentum. That's what he wants. Right, right, right. The name of the book, folks, is Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and The Bet of the Century by Tim Higgins. And Tim's a guy who knows something about cars, uh, knows a hell of a lot about cars, and uh, uh, really enjoyable read, short, quick read, and uh, you keep Keep it moving. So fantastic job, man. Just continued success. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on the show. Great. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.